0: The book of Joshua shows us this in an incredible way. And as we begin our study today in the book of Joshua, I want to kind of give you a flyover of this book. And not only of the book, but I kind of want to give you a a flyover of the man. And I want you to see how this principle that what we do privately really affects what we do publicly. I want you to see how this principle is just lived out in the book of Joshua. So take your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 1, would you? And I trust that you'll take out your teaching tool found in your worship folder. Let's take a few minutes and look at Joshua the book. To try to get an overview, kind of a a summary of this book we know as Joshua, okay? Have your pen there, your pencil, your lipstick, your eyeliner, whatever you're going to use there. Take notes. Have your worship folder, teaching tool. And let's just this morning understand a little bit about Joshua the book. Some things that aren't behind me on the screen. Joshua is like the Acts of the Old Testament. In other words, it's a transition book between the Pentateuch, which is the Law of Moses, and then the History of Israel as they start out. It's, it's a very transitional um, Acts-like book of the Old Testament. It's a book about public victories. Joshua is a very corporate book. Most of the book talks about things that happen to the entire uh, people of Israel. And it lists uh, a lot of their battles, both good and bad. And as you read Joshua, you get a real public sense of um, of their life of warfare as a people. In fact, there are probably four really key passages in the book of Joshua. And I want to kind of read through these with you and just talk about them briefly. One of the ways you can accent our study in this is to make sure you have one of our study guides for this study in Joshua. How many of you have picked one up already? Raise your hand, would you? Oh, that blesses my soul right there. Awesome. Way to go, guys. I want to give you a hand. That's great. And I'm glad you're picking them up. We've made them really available. And that study begins this week. You'll be in your lighthouse this week and, of course, following here week after week using that. Uh, So I want to encourage you to to read these passages that you see behind me as well this week, along with your first lesson in there, as you talk about it in your lighthouse. This will give you kind of an overview of that study. Four key passages. The first one's found in Joshua 1, 1 and 2. Look what the Bible says here. You're, you're there, you're reading along. It says that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord then said to Joshua, the son of Nun, who was Moses' aide, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give you. Kind of a twofold purpose for Joshua's leadership. We, we think a lot about Joshua's leadership being to, to conquer the land and divide it up. But did you know his first real responsibility was to get the people across the Jordan River? And that was no small task, mind you, because they didn't have bridges then. Are you with me? And so he's facing this, this large task of getting a million plus people across this river. So I see that as like this calling, this initial uh, set of orders. Well, Joshua does complete that task. Look over at chapter 3 verse 17. Remember, we're getting a fly over here, so you're going to kind of get a, uh, the, the book of Joshua in four segments. The Bible says that the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. And then here's the fulfillment of Joshua 1, 1 and 2. All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. That was the the first thing he was asked to do. And if you'll notice, I would, in your Bible, draw a line from 317 all the way down to 424. Can you find that next verse, 424? Draw a line, connect these two. Here's what they were to tell their people, and here's the impact this crossing had. He did this, speaking of God, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Amen? I mean, God is a victorious God. He calls us sometimes to things and, and battles and situations. Like, God, can we really do that? Can I accomplish that? How is that going to happen? But the hand of the Lord is powerful. Amen. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Well, they cross the Jordan. They get into their first few battles. And their strategy, by the way, was to attack the central part of the, of the region and then kind of ripple out from there. Well, they did that. And if you'll notice in Joshua chapter 14, verse 15. Can you flip there real quick? Maybe underline this verse. Put a number three by it. Here's an awesome verse for the children of Israel. In fact, if you have NIV, can you read this out loud with me? It's just a few words. The last part of Joshua 14, 15. In fact, probably just the last seven words. Let's read that together, shall we? Then the land had rest from war. And all the people of Israel went like this probably. Finally. I mean, they had been engaged in battle after battle after battle. Their leader was a military general. But finally, rest. We see that in the next few chapters, um, after this conquest of the land, that they begin to divide up the land. And most of these chapters following is the, is the uh, division of the lands by tribes and so forth. And then we have an interesting verse about verse 43 in chapter 21. Look there. <coughs> This is kind of what I call the capstone. And I've really loved these verses of the last about uh, six to seven weeks as I've read through Joshua and prepared our study and just kind of looked at some different things. These verses are kind of hidden. We go to twenty four fifteen a lot, don't we, about how he drew the line in the sand and said, I'm going to serve the Lord today. And we go to chapter 1 where he said, I'm not going to be afraid because the Lord is with me. But here's some awesome verses tucked away at the end of a very legal type of subscription. They divided all the land... And by the way, Joshua was the last to get his land, which is a, an awesome trait of a leader, isn't it? They gave all the land out, and at the very end it says, and then finally, when everyone was settled, Joshua received his portion. We'll talk more about that later. But here's some tucked away verses that really speak to this whole book. Here's the capstone. Look what it says, Joshua 21:43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. That's an awesome verse. I mean, you realize this is after wilderness wanderings. This is after Egyptian slavery. What 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 an awesome verse to display the faithfulness of God. In fact, he begins to talk about that. Verse 44, The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. Now, that's what I call victory. Amen? Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Don't we serve a great God? And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So guess what? The same God who gave this capstone to these children of Israel and said, You are victorious because I am faithful. That same God, His same character, speaks to us today. And enables us to have a life of victory. That's the book of Joshua. How they were called to an incredible task. How they trusted him and obeyed, conquered the land, and then they found rest. All because of a faithful God. But I got to tell you something. Joshua the book is impossible apart from Joshua the man. I say that humanly. The Lord is the, the source of the victory. I understand that. But from a human perspective, the book of Joshua, as public as it is, as corporate as it is, in its, in its victories, and in its uh, chronicles of the wars, it's only possible because of Joshua the man. And his life is actually, at least prior to Joshua, is outlined in Exodus Numbers in Deuteronomy. And what we see is that Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are incredibly important to Joshua. Because Joshua the book hinges on Joshua the man. Let me show you. I won't read all these passages or have you turn to them. But I do want you to write these down, would you? There are nine references to Joshua the man prior to Joshua the book. Remember, I'm giving you a flyover, so I'm going to kind of attack your brains here. I know you've got them on. You're taking good notes. But this is very important. It kind of sets the stage for why Joshua, as the military leader of Israel, was so... Publicly successful. Don't miss that. It's because in these nine instances, in his prior life to being the man uh, on the stage, shall we say, he found great personal victories. Let me give you some examples Exodus 17. It's when we have the very first mention of Joshua. And you know what he's called upon to do? He's called upon by Moses to go defeat the Am- Amalekites. And that's what he does. So the very first mention of Joshua is as a general. In fact, when he was born, his mother actually named him um, Hoshea, which means salvation. But when he came on board with, with Moses, Moses changed his name to Yahshua, which means Jehovah saves. I think it was a constant reminder in Joshua's mind. You know what? I may be a good military leader, and I might have been raised in a military family, but man, there's no saving power in me. The saving power comes from Jehovah. Amen? And his name reminded him of that consistently. In fact, you know that Joshua was probably raised, and I believe personally probably trained in the Egyptian army. You recall that he was on the the, the brink of their wilderness wanderings. He was only... But he was one of two that was allowed to live through the wandering. So that means that probably Joshua was a teenager and a young man during those last few years of their Egyptian slavery. Do you know where he probably received a lot of his training as a military man? you know where he saw a lot of things happen? He probably got a lot of that in Egypt. Joshua saw much injustice. Joshua was part of that exodus. And so when he's first mentioned in Exodus 17, it's as a general. And then you move on from there in different portions of of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. In Numbers um, 13 and 14, we have the story of the of the spies. Remember there were uh, remember as a kid singing the song, ten were bad and two were good? Some of you remember that. Joshua was one of the two that were good. He came back with the right report. He showed great faith in God. When everyone was like, man, we can't take the land. There are giants in there. Joshua's faith brought him to a place where he said... God said it. Let's just do it. I like the passage in Numbers 32. It's the story of the golden calf. Excuse me. Exodus 32. It's the story of the golden calf. And here's an interesting thing about Joshua the man you'll like. When they were coming down from the mountain... They heard a bunch of noise. you recall this? Aaron had had succumbed to the people's wishes and led by consensus, which is always a bad idea. And they had built an altar, and so Aaron's sitting around thinking, well, you know, I guess this is okay because Moses and uh, Joshua are lost in the mountain. So here they come trekking down the mountain, and they both hear noise, and Joshua's first inclination is it's the sound of war. You see, Joshua was a military man. He said, Moses, that sounds like a war. And Moses said, no, Joshua... That's singing. And they kept hiking down. All of a sudden, they got to the place in the mountain where they could see. And it's idolatrous. It's, it's a pagan orgy. And Moses throws the tablets down. All the while, Joshua's first thought was, hey, there's another war. Let's get down. I can, be a, you know, I can get into what I do best. Joshua was a military man. His thought processes, his, his tendencies, his personality lended itself towards military type of stuff. In Deuteronomy 34, We have the story of Moses' death and succession. And if you ever think this is very difficult to do, I mean, transitions often kill organizations, especially churches, by the way. Going from one leader to the next or a set of leaders to the next. Can you imagine following Moses? (laughs) I mean, the most humble man who ever lived, the Bible said, and the children of Israel mourned for Moses 30 days. It's a long time to mourn for, for one man. And then God says, Oh, by the way, Joshua, your turn. We can see why he would be afraid. I mean, he's on the heels of a highly successful yet highly humble servant of the Lord. So you see in these passages that, that, that Joshua was, was sometimes a slave. He was a soldier. He was once a spy. He was a servant. You know that much of, most of Joshua's early life was spent as Moses' personal attendant? In fact... When they would set up the tabernacle in the wilderness, they had another place called the Tent of Meeting. You ever heard of that before? It's in the Old Testament. And Joshua, one of his main responsibilities was when Moses went to the Tent of Meeting to meet with God, his job was to stay there and watch and guard the Tent of Meeting. It was like a century, and he stood on guard. He, he kind of protected and kept watch. In other words, he got a real first-hand view of the life of Moses and what it took to lead those people. Joshua was well Prepped privately. You hear me people? Joshua. Took care of everything here. He took care of behind the scenes. He made sure this was right. So that when Joshua the book was necessary. He was able to lead publicly. See Joshua learned something that I want you to write down. I want you to let this sink in. As we begin our study in Joshua. As we talk about how to be victorious. Uh, between now and the end of November as we talk about certain things in our life that we want to see you gain victory in and teach habits and principles that will help you learn how to live above the phrase shall we say here's something uh, an, an overarching fundamental principle and that's this Joshua learned that personal private victories were vital to corporate public victories just jot that down Keep it with you. You say, well, Todd, I knew that. I think a lot of us know that here. But a lot of us forget that Monday morning. We fail to remember that that what I do at home when nobody's looking really affects what I do at the office when everybody's watching. Amen? I expect it to be kind of quiet for a little bit. We sometimes forget that that what I do late at night on the Internet really is, is very important because it, it says more about my heart than perhaps how I act at church on Sunday morning. It's important that, that, I, that my checkbook that no one ever sees, that I, that I treat that rightly. Because if I, don't, if I don't spend correctly and invest wisely and, and understand God's patterns for giving and sacrifice and stewardship, when the, when the crunch time comes, I'm not going to make the right decision. You see, guys, being, listen very carefully, is crucial to doing. And you know what the curse of the American church is, don't you? We've got a lot of doers. People who are going to act right. And they know what to say in public. Man, they, they know how to act. They've got the lingo, and they've got the part. they got it down. But their heart... Too often is filled with wickedness. The American church has been ravaged by people who worship me with their lips but their heart is far from me, the Bible says. Can I ask you a question? How's your heart this morning? How's the private life Behind your chest cavity. What's really going on behind the curtains of your existence? Joshua knew that in order for that public life to be what it needed to be. In order for him to fulfill God's purposes as the leader of these children of Israel. He needed to win victories here first. Before he won victories out there. And today before we get into Joshua chapter by chapter, before we walk through in our small groups, I call upon you, first family, to win the victory here. You see, all of us want the victory someday, don't we? I and mean, everyone does. They want the Super Bowl. They want the championship. Or they want the big impact. They want the platform. Put it whatever words you want. All of us love someday. Guess when someday starts? Today. In fact, you might want to jot that phrase down. Someday starts today. I can't tell you the number of couples I've talked to. Not in this church, of course. Other churches, of course, you know. The number of couples who've said, you know, man, someday I just hope my marriage really just takes off. Man, I hope that my wife and I get along and I'm hoping that I can really make some changes. And then six months later... What they're saying? I Man, I just really hope that my marriage, and in another six months, and you find that about three or four years later, they're still living in the realm of intentions. Because they, I guess they think maybe someday we'll just kind of, in a, in a fashion of osmosis or perhaps in a flash of lightning, just boom. Okay, I have victory. But you know what? Some days always start today when, in our hearts, we win personal battles. We win private victories. We accomplish uh, through God's power uh, the little things. We do the right things when no one's looking in the small areas. And we do that consistently day after day after day. And every day we wake up we say, today is a day to win a victory in my heart. And God takes that and He sees that kind of faithfulness and He sees that kind of heart. And in his time, and in his own sovereignty, he brings us to a someday. But some days don't happen without two days. How's your today? Are you winning victories here today? Let me kind of chat with you a little bit about some victories that I think a lot of us would like to win. I made a list uh, in the last few weeks of things that I... I know some of these appeal to me and they, they speak to me. Some may speak to you. I know a lot of us would, would really... Uh, the idea of a better marriage, of, of a marriage that seems uh, to be just a step above. You know, like um, the kind you, you thought you are going to have before you got married, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of that, they're like, hey, that's what I'm really after. That's a worthy goal. The road to victory in that area... Your someday, for a marriage you dream about, starts today. With words of kindness to your spouse. Hey, amen. A life of sacrificial love to your wife. The ability to put aside what you want and put her first. Or women, the ability not to sarcastically remind him of what he did six months ago. Or to criticize him behind his back to your other friends. You see, what you want someday has to start today with little victories. I think about in raising children. You know, everyone wants their kid to be a blessing to society. I'll use that phrase. Our kids to be arrows that we shoot, as the psalmist said, that go farther and impact the world. But you know, I tell you, those little arrows need sharpening and chiseling and sometimes the discipline it takes to raise children It's tough. Can I get an amen right there? What you want someday with your children needs to start today in the private area of your home in love and discipline. You probably can't play softball, go fishing and hunt, and be a good husband and a dad and work four jobs. You can't do that. You'll not have the someday you're after if you don't today conquer the little battles. Like You know what? I'm going home tonight and I'm going to stay home. Are you with me, guys? You see, we want the victory someday. But all the some days really hinge upon what we do today. I think about addictions that people have. Whether it's with spending money, alcohol, drugs or pills or, or other things. That Sometimes we don't think about food could be a number of things. Our addictions, you know, a a lot of folks really want to overcome those. That someday starts today. Winning the small battles today. Like tomorrow morning when you wake up, 90% of you will say to yourself, man, I ought to get up and exercise. And 1% of you will. (laughs) 1% of us will, right? Because we're like, uh, and I'll be like you, like, man, I'm probably too too tired to go run. I don't feel like it. You know what? The someday we're after of finishing the race, losing the weight, and I'm just speaking here real plainly to you. Is that okay? Conquering the addictions starts with being able to say, today I'm going to win the battle. I think about things like becoming a better Bible student. I love, one thing I love about our church, I love so many things about it, one thing I really love about you guys is you have a real thirst for the Word. And the visitors that I talk to who visit and the people that join and the new members that, one of their uh, predominant comments is, man, the, the, your church really seems to, I mean, they're just a real instance on the Word of God. People bring their Bibles. They actually look at them and you talk about them in the middle of the week and maybe you say, I just want to learn the Bible more. And so then you hear about a class and you, but you're always too busy. You say, I know someday you really want to script, memorize Scripture. You want to learn the Bible. You want to see it systematically. You want to understand theology. But every time there's a, a, a possibility today to, to lend itself towards that, it, something always comes up. Ever been in that situation? Now, that's not to provide guilt to you. I'm just trying to teach you that a lot of times our goals for someday never come to fruition because we never deal with the battle today. I would encourage you as classes are are introduced the next few weeks. As Kid Centrals introduced the next few weeks for your children. As different things are brought to the table. As lighthouses are still, you can still sign up for them. Hey, think about someday and say, let well, me today I need to, I need to make some adjustments in order to see God bring some victory in my life. Someday. A few other ones I wrote down here. Our thinking patterns. Our relationships. The, the battle of lust that every man faces. How to deal with our tongue and the sharpness that often many of us have in our in our tone. And the sarcasm we bring to our families. For some of us, we, you, some of you may be done with God's call upon your life into full-time ministry and, and perhaps leaving what you know and entering into a vocational life as a missionary. I know the kings here are headed that way. It could be a number of things. But listen guys, the someday you're thinking about... In any area, that victory you one day envision starts here today. And Joshua the man, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are crucial to Joshua the book. Guess what? Your home is crucial to this church. Your life is crucial to this church. And what you do personally. How you live privately. How you seek to honor God and win those victories here. Really matters to the corporate body of first family. I call upon you first family. To live holy lives for God. To seek Him single-mindedly. In your life privately with your family, so that when we gather together and we're in our community, we're seen as the people of God, wholly devoted to Him. Not as folks playing a game or acting on stage. Amen. But people authentically involved in the lives of others in a public way because we have won some personal victories. This has really brought home to me Over the weekend I was in Tennessee speaking to about 300 high schoolers at my alma mater. They kicked their year off and so they invited me to speak. I walked into the uh, auditorium Thursday morning and a gentleman, I don't know his age, but he walked up and he stuck his hand down and he said, do you remember me? Which is always a scary question. (laughs) Can Can you agree with me there? And how do you answer that? If you say yes or if you say no, I didn't know. So I said... I'm Todd, you know, and I'm thinking, you go first, right? And he said, I'm Doug Carpenter. And then it started coming back, and he looked kind of familiar, and he said, years ago, I was a junior high kid, and you spoke at our retreat in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and you really challenged us to examine ourselves and see if we were really saved. He said, I had doubted for years, probably from fourth grade on. He said, I remember being in like ninth grade. That was junior high back then, by the way. And he said, I remember coming up to you after everyone had left, and I was so afraid, I was so insecure, but it was kind of late, and everyone was gone, and I said, I need to talk to you about being saved. And you said, well, let's go to the bus and we'll talk. And you said you left, and you went to the bus, and you, sat on, and you gave me tons of verses about how to deal with my doubt. And he said, I remember that night I got saved. He said, I want to thank you for taking time out to help me know the Lord. Now, I don't remember that guy hardly at all. But I thought, and I don't do a whole lot right sometimes. I'll tell you a lot about my failures and I do my successes. But at that moment, God's Spirit just spoke to me and said, Todd, aren't you glad you didn't brush him off? Aren't you glad you didn't say, hey, little kid with a runny nose, leave me alone, man, I'm speaking to a crowd. I'm on stage. This is a public venue, man. We just... Aren't you glad that somewhere God just gave me the strength to say, yeah, Doug, why don't we go chat a little bit? And I've learned that ministry is a small world. And you never know when your path today may cross again someday. And I want to thank God Almighty for the victory that day here. When no one was looking, it wasn't a big deal. And I could have said, well, go talk to your youth pastor. You'll see him more than you will me. But I'm so thankful that God just put in my heart that day to, to do the right thing when nobody was looking. You know, I probably get that from... It's probably a genetic thing that I just watched my dad all my life do that. My dad's probably my, is, is my hero. He's just the man I look up to. I saw him this this past two days as well. And at that same retreat, um, one of the guys came up and said, you know one thing? I'm always known as Roger's son or Mike Haynes' friend when I go to Tennessee. I'm not really known as Todd. It's either Mike's friend or Roger's son. So I'm meeting all these folks and one guy says, hey, you're Roger's son, man. We love your dad. And I'm like, well, I do too. I'm glad you love him. And... One guy said, "You know what I like about your dad?" He said, "Your dad is the one guy who he was the same behind closed doors as he was on the stage." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, uh, "This was a college kid." He said, "When I was student body president, he said we had a, a prayer meeting for all the student uh, for all the student body officers of the university." And he said, "I sent word to all the faculty administration, if you want to join us, come right ahead. Six thirty." So-and-so day. We love to have all of our administration praying with the student body officers. He says, you know, how many showed up? And I said, I don't know. He said, only one. Guess who that was? Your dad. And I thought, well, first of all, man, I'm so-so proud of my dad, you know, in the right way. I'm like, man, where you go, dad. And that was years ago. But, you know, I watched my dad his whole life live that way. He would do the right thing, but nobody's looking. He didn't care if anybody's looking. And he got that invitation, and he went to this prayer meeting. The only one I can't answer for why folks didn't go there. I'm sure there were legitimate reasons. All I can answer is that, in my dad's heart, on that morning when I'm sure he wanted to sleep in, instead he won a personal victory. He got up and said, "I'm going to go pray with some kids who probably think they're them everything and don't know anything. <laughs> Remember college life, right? And he walked in to a bunch of student body officers, the only. Faculty there. Just spent time praying with them. Here he was, a man with two masters, a doctor's degree. More knowledge, probably in his finger, than I've ever had in my whole life. But never too proud, never too busy to win a personal victory here. You know, that's kind of what I'm talking about, guys. And so, when they called upon my dad to be president of the university, it was an automatic for him. Like, hey, well, you know, God's been preparing me. If you want me to do it, I'll I'll try to it together and do it, you know, for the school's sake for a few years. He really didn't want to be president but he was such a quality man for the job because he had let God prepare him for years in private. And when the public platform came, God had him ready. Do you see the, the connection between Joshua the book and Joshua the man this morning? Oh, that we would have a church filled with increasing people who see the connection between public victories and personal ones and that gaining the personal victory is instrumental in seeing the public one someone who did this well is here with us today he's actually probably still involved in this work because he's like me he's still growing but he did win a real big victory when he was a young man. Shane, can you come join me for a minute? I want you to hear from Shane Latham. Shane, Aaron, will you wave at us? I know you're there and their kids are here. And this is Shane and Aaron Latham. They're missionaries in Brazil. And seated right next to them, Lucas and his... uh, Your wife's name again? Uh, Teresa. Teresa, Lucas and Teresa Baird. They're headed to Brazil as well. They're kind of on the front end of their journey. Shane and Aaron are kind of in the middle of their journey. And I want you to hear from Shane a little bit about how what God's doing in His someday... But he's going to take you back and let you hear about an important two-day
1: that God really uh, used in his heart. Shane, welcome to First Family. Thanks, Todd. Um, up on the screen here, I just want to show you basically some of the promised land God has led us to. In Brazil, we've ha- been down there for 10 years. Well, I grew up there since I was a kid. But our ministry of planting churches started in Gravatai 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we have a... Uh, a just click it there? There you go. This is just a wonderful gift that God has given us is influence in our city. The city of Gravataí has about 300,000 people. It's a suburb of Puerto Alegre, about 2 million. And we had a, an artist here from Norwalk come down, one of our supporting churches there, um, wonderful ministry there using art to communicate the, the, the gospel. And we put this painting up, which has all the purposes of the church. It has worship you know, here in celebrating God, serving others, his ministry, Uh, Speaking of hope, you know, is evangelism. We have here uh, living in community, uh, which is fellowship, and then teaching next generation, discipleship. And we wanted to communicate to our city uh, what we were all about, why we were there in Brazil. And so we had this piece of artwork we wanted to put it someplace, and I went and talked to the city leaders. And after years of uh, faithful bridge building into Mm. the community, what happened was they said, well, let's just put that in City Hall. Let's put that in the entryway of City Hall. I said, well, that's a good idea. Let's do it. Amen. And so, I mean, that is like a promised land for us. You get down there. You get, you know, the, the philosophy of ministry is in City Hall. Uh, so many things have happened in the last few years as we've seen God bringing our ministry into influence. We arrived in Brazil, and uh, when we got off the airplane uh, after last furlough, uh, we, we were coming down the escalator, and they're waiting at the capital city. It would be like uh, Minneapolis Airport. It's 2 million people waiting at the bottom of the escalator was the mayor of our city. And so they kind of ushered us out, and there's all the people that we were greeting there, but my dad was there. He's been a missionary in Brazil. He's my hero, too. He's been there for 35 years. He said, Shane, you guys got to go out in front of the airport. So we go out in front of the airport, and out there in front of this airport is this uh, marching band. And they're playing Twist and Shout, you know, but uh, they're... And they're there to greet us with this band. of welcome back, Latham. And we just sat down there and cried. Mm -hmm. But those kind of things happen. And as I always remember, I had an interesting thing that happened. I just want to just show you our church planting map. And this allows us, as we go through these seven stages of a church planting movement, this allows us to... um, planned plan multiple churches at uh, the same time with this strategy. But uh, basically, we got to where we are right now, and, and we still got so much more to, for God to use us, and it's just an adventure. But I remember back uh, when I was in college, and I had something to remind me of this this week. Uh, there's a funny thing that happened yes. here. I came out, of a, came out of a bank in town here, and somebody, there's a guy here that arrested me, handcuffed me. Okay, well, anyways, uh, I got, ended up in handcuffs. I ended up in the back seat of a, they thought I was a bank robber, I guess. And so when I figured it out, finally, I said, well, I'm a missionary. Well, where are you going to go? I'm going to go to uh, uh, First Family. Oh, that's my church. So I, that got the Kimberly cuffs calling. off. <laughs> that got the cuffs off me. But that reminded me, as a teenager, there was times in my life where well, that could have been my future. There were times that I, had to, I actually had to go back later on and apologize to a judge in Brazil that me and some other missionary kids had broken into their house. I had to go back and apologize to a pastor when me and some other kids, as I grew up in Brazil, had ruined this church through uh, our involvement with drugs and things like that. And so, as I was handcuffed, I remembered where I could have been. You know. And it was, I, praise the Lord, it was a mistaken identity thing. Um, <laughs> but it reminds me back to a personal victory when I was in college, a freshman in college. And I was right there trying to decide which way I'm going to go with my life. And I'm delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizzas up in the Minneapolis area. Two o'clock in the morning, my last run, it's snowing. And I have my little Geo Metro, three-cylinder deal. I pull it <laughs> off to the side of the road up in Coon Rapids area in northern Minneapolis. And I said, God, I was remembering the words of my dad. He said, Shane, don't be mediocre about whatever you do. And my Christian life had been just as mediocre as it could be. My, my party life had been really hardcore. And now I say, God, I'm tired of this mediocre. I just want, just do whatever you want to do with me. I want the whole package. And from that day forward, things started happening and unraveling, and other decisions had to be made, and other victories had to be won that have taken us to be able to be in this church planting process that the bears are coming to join us now. But there's am- amazing adventure still to come, and I can trace it back to that decision and uh, God getting a hold of my life. So I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here, and it's, it's true, personal victories lead to this promised land that God has for us.
0: And, you know, Shane's a, a living example of that. I mean, all of you would love to... Hold oh, on, Shane. I want to interview you here a little bit. So just hang tight. Hold the microphone. But, <laughs> Do you have handcuffs on? <laughs> uh, no. But Tim's coming in the back door. No. <laughs> but who wouldn't want to come down an escalator? And I mean this in a humble way. But who wouldn't want to come down and feel like you'd won the hearts of your city? And, and you come down the escalator to applause. And the mayor's there. And they give you the front of city hall. Everyone wants that kind of someday. But that Brazilian someday for Shane went back to a Coon Rapids 2 day, didn't it? When in the, just all alone in the sanctuary of a geo, he deals with God. Are you with me? Amen. It just, it, it just speaks to where you are. And Shane, I've, all, I've watched your ministry and I highly respect what you're doing. I love the fact that you have a global mindset from Brazil. Their goal is to reach the world from Brazil. Isn't that awesome? And in fact, they are sent to sin, is what they talk about. And I just highly respect you. I'm so thankful you gave us some. He's got a table in the lobby. Stop by and talk with him. If you feel led to support him, please take some of his information, a prayer card, um, some ways you might can support him monthly. He's going to be at, ter- at a Cafe Diem this Friday if you want to talk about this thing called the wisdom spiral, which is really how God takes you from a two day to a someday. It's kind of that whole process. That's it missions and other stuff. If you want to meet with him this Friday, talk with him out there. Um, He's going to be around all week. He's in one of our lighthouses, I think, this week. I think Lucas is in one tonight, I believe so. So they're here. Can you help me welcome Shane and Aaron and then, of course, Lucas and Teresa? Thank you. Thank you, Shane, very much. How are you doing on your today? How are your personal victories? You know what I find really intriguing about the book of Joshua as we close? is even at the end of his life, Joshua had this uncanny ability to bring it all back to here. Can I show you Joshua 24:15? In fact, you might want to flip there in your Bible. Put a finger on it and think about the victory that you really need God to give you in your heart. Joshua said at the very end, he brought it back to the decision he had made when he was Moses' aide back in those years as a soldier, a spy. And he uh, reiterated that here at the end. He said, as for... Look at these personal pronouns. Look at this. As for me... Man, that's a heart word, isn't it? And whom? My house. And then what does it say next? We will serve the Lord. And with millions probably surrounding him, he had this incredible capacity to say, before I deal with all of you in the public, let me just tell you, I've dealt with what's in here. And as for me and my house, we're serving God. Joshua, the book's a good study. But Joshua, the man, I can't say a better study, but it holds the key to understanding the book. And I want you to really take some lessons. And I want myself to take lessons from Joshua the man. Before we get into the victory side of our Christian walk. And the crossing and the conquest. Let's take some time. And say Lord. What victories are you calling on me to win? Right here today. Here's how we're going to close. I'm actually going to put the men on the spot. Because that verse. Joshua 24:15, Is the voice of a husband and a father. It's the voice of a man. Unafraid to take a stand, isn't it? Unafraid to address his desire to win personal heart battles. Men, I call upon you to win the battle of your heart today. To start your journey towards someday, today. In fact, can I ask you to do something with me? What is one area you would just thoroughly enjoy and love to see God give you victory And don't say it out loud but I want you to men talking to men here I'm not trying to leave anybody out but I am talking to men men I want you to identify it in your mind what is one area you would you would say I, if, I, if I could have victory in there someday man, I would be so thankful and grateful that journey starts today we're going to sing in a minute I'm going to open up this altar for men to make their way here and to say, Today I take my stand with Joshua the man and I'll make it personal and I'm gonna to try to win this battle. I'm gonna give God this struggle. I'm gonna win the heart issue first. And I'm gonna call upon our wives and kids in this room. If your husband moves, you ought to follow him. Come down here with him and, and just support him and pray for him. When the men, I, we've got some awesome men in our church. This is not meant to say we don't. But I say, you, when the men of our church fully grasp their impact and responsibility as leaders, we would, we would be unable to stop the impact this church would have. So men, are you ready for today? Let's pray. All of our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. <coughs> Generation Band's going to join me. We're going to sing a song a little bit. You've never heard it, probably. It's called today, and they're going to sing that, and while they're singing, I'm going to invite men to the front here to pray. You may come pray for a few moments and go back to your seat. I want to say to you, men, joining me in prayer here is not at all saying that you have some hidden secret, that you're in massive need of help. I I don't know what it means. That's between you and God. But what I am saying to you is, I'm calling upon you to get the personal thing settled before you go to the public arena. To take it in the biblical order. Be what you ought to be. So that God can do what he, wants, what he needs to do. Lord Jesus. I want to just start this by saying I'm, I'm in the greatest need no doubt. what I want to be the kind of man... That even if the pressure and the circumstances were such that no one was following. That I would still want to win the battle of loyalty in my heart. And say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So God, I come to you this morning. I humbly repent of my failures. I'm prone to sin. I too quickly run to my flesh and my own confidence and Lord pride and selfishness sometimes just trip me and choke me Lord I really pray God that you'll make me into a man after your own heart Will change my heart today I reaffirm to you almighty God my allegiance and loyalty Lord I really want to someday and I know it starts today